0: We've heard the readings from John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 5. The story in John occurs on the evening of Easter. The disciples were hiding behind these closed and locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And while they were hiding, Jesus appeared to them and showed them that he had indeed been resurrected from the dead. We've just heard the scripture and we sang about Thomas, who we've dubbed Doubting Thomas, but he wasn't there that first time that Jesus appeared. That first time Jesus appeared and he breathed power onto them and gave him, gave them peace and told them to go out. Well, Jesus comes back a week later and the disciples are again in this locked room and that's when Thomas touches Jesus and sees his wounds. This reading where the disciples are afraid and hiding is juxtaposed with the reading that you heard in Acts chapter 5. In Acts, we see Peter and the others being called to testify in front of the Jewish council. They've repeatedly been preaching and teaching in Jesus's name, and they've been told not to do this. In the verses preceding what you heard, they had been imprisoned, they had been threatened, and yet they continue to break the law. And so the reading you heard begins with them being called in front of the council. And when they're reminded that they've been told not to do this, Peter says, we must obey God rather than humans. I must say that the confidence and the conviction with which Peter speaks is impressive. But the question that I have is, what happened between John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 5? How do Peter and the others go from fearfully hiding in a locked room to boldly proclaiming the gospel in front of the Sanhedrin, what transformed them from dubious disciples in John to audacious apostles in Acts? I ask this question not only out of my interest and curiosity about the historical perspective, but I also want to know what is it that we need? What does Leslie need in order to live out my faith, in order to live out your faith boldly in the midst of chaos, commotion, and confusion. So I started digging. I started reading. What happened? I literally wanted to know what happened between these two chapters. This is a a period of weeks, a couple of months maybe, and this major transformation has taken place for the disciples. And in reading the matter between, I found that there are three characteristics or three qualities that seem to take root in the disciples. The first is that they had an unwavering conviction. Yes, they had a rocky start immediately after the resurrection. Mary Magdalene had come, if you remember from last week, she'd come and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. You would think that would be reason enough for them to come out of this room and begin to rejoice, but they don't. They're confused. They're perplexed. Even the ones who had gone and looked in, they see that there's nobody there, but they can't make sense of what is happening. And then, a week later, they're still in the room. Now, we don't know if the door was locked, but they don't seem to be out doing what Jesus told them to do. But somewhere along the way, they emerged from that locked room, and they began preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. The only way they could have done this, the only way that they could have gone forward, was if they were convinced about what they believed. It's difficult to stand up for what you believe. It's nearly impossible to stand up for something that you don't believe. This past week, I was indulging in one of my guilty pleasures, American Idol. Any fans out there? My favorite contestant this season is La Portia Renee. La Portia can sing. Many times when I'm watching her, I'm sitting in my living room, weeping in front of the television, and I can't quite figure out why, but something about her singing touches me, touches me in a place that isn't often touched. This week, LaPortia was singing the song Stay With Me by Lorraine Ellison. Now, like I said, usually her singing captivates me, even moves me to tears, but this week I thought, huh, I mean, she's doing fine, I guess. She's good, so nothing that she sings sounds bad. But when she finished singing, she went in front of the judges and they probed her a little bit about the song, and she said that she didn't like the song she said she didn't believe in begging a man to stay i can relate (laughs) when she said that i understood then what was off she couldn't sing that song with authentic emotion because she didn't believe in its message sometimes we're in life and we're trying to hold on to our faith we're trying to believe in god's power we're trying to have hope for the future But we find ourselves with questions or doubts. Even today, someone in here may be wondering how we can be sure that the resurrection actually happened. Why are we proclaiming that this alleged event happened 2,000 years ago? Well, I can't take you back in time and show you the empty tomb. I can't show you the clothes where Jesus had lain. But what I can invite you to do is to travel back into the cemeteries in your own life, the places in your mind where dead things have been buried. And like Mary Magdalene and Peter and John, I invite you to bend down and look in. I imagine that most of you will find that some of the things that were dead and buried are no longer there. Where are they? We're confused, we're perplexed, we don't understand what's happening that is until those things that we thought were dead show up in front of our eyes those marriages that we thought were over we see that god has breathed new life into them those careers that we thought had ended god breathed new life into them the dreams that were dead and buried god breathed new life into them sometimes my friends that's where we have to find our conviction when it's not enough to hear someone else's story. Find your own. Look back over your life. I'm from the South, and in the South we sang a whole lot of southern country hymns. Look back over your life and see what God can do. What God has done for me, God can do for you. Anybody know that song? We have to look back and see And see where we've come from. And that's where we can find our belief. They had unwavering conviction. They believed fully in what they said. They had experienced it for themselves. But not only did they have unwavering conviction, they also had unfailing commitment. Commitment. When Jesus appeared to the disciples and the others gathered in the room, he showed them his wounds, he gave them peace and power, and he sent them out to serve. Now, it would be easy for us to assume that because Jesus gave them peace and power that everything would be easy, that everything on the other side of the door would be less scary. But that wasn't the case for them then, and that isn't the case for us today. Christ's peace and Christ's power don't erase life's challenges, but they do sustain us in the midst of life's challenges. And that's what the disciples faced, challenges. It was not easy what they were called to do. The religious leaders who crucified Jesus still wanted the movement to end. They still needed to maintain order and the semblance of peace under Roman occupation. And I want to pause parenthetically here and say that it's funny how those with relative power and privilege can be so concerned about order. From positions of power and privilege, it's easy to tell those who are oppressed that they need not disrupt, that hijabs at presidential rallies are inappropriate, that the state assembly floor isn't the place to shout Black Lives Matter, that LGBT, LGBT folks and allies should reign in their protests, that teachers in Chicago's and other areas should not strike for adequate funding. From positions of privilege and power, we can say that order is the number one priority. But we see here in the text that the apostles weren't concerned about order. They were concerned about the power of the resurrection, the power of the risen Lord, The power that has the ability to bring sight to the blind, healing to the sick, and good news to the poor. Power that unifies disparate groups. Power that brought together the rich and the poor, the Jews and the Gentiles, the citizens and the immigrants. The religious leaders were concerned with order, but the apostles were committed to sharing God's power. The apostles were so committed to this power that even after being warned by the religious leaders, they continued to preach. After being put in jail, they continued to teach. They returned to Solomon's portico, which would have been like our Times Square, the most crowded place in town, and they stood and boldly proclaimed Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. They remained committed, and they were willing to risk it all. I recently saw a photograph of an 87-year-old woman marching across the Brooklyn Bridge last winter. She was a part of the Black Lives Matter protests. This octogenarian risked illness, arrest, and possibly even death. She was committed. Are we committed? Do we believe so strongly in the good news of Christ that we're willing to risk it all? Is our conviction so strong that we believe that everyone should hear this message? Are we willing to show up for those who are most vulnerable and speak on their behalf? Peter and the others had unwavering conviction. They had an unfailing commitment. And the third quality they had was uncommon courage. In Acts, the religious leaders remind them to stop preaching and to stop teaching and to stop blaming them for Jesus' death. Stop causing all of this confusion in the city. But Peter and the others refuse. And not only do they refuse, but Peter breaks out in a testimony right there in the court. Now, Peter has a history of being impulsive. And a small part of me wonders if he thought this thing through. But after reading all that the apostles had experienced before this, I realized that Peter knows what's at stake. He's had opportunities to recant his testimony. He could have just walked on by the people on the street who needed healing. But he speaks up anyway. I know he had to be scared. But fear didn't hold him back. Oftentimes, we see people in life making bold decisions and making scary choices, and we wonder how they do it. How is it that these people are not afraid? But the truth is, courageous people live with fear. To not have fear when we're in danger or when we have something at stake is foolish. It means we likely haven't thought through the consequences of our actions. But some fear is healthy. Courage is not the absence of fear, says Nelson Mandela, but it's the triumph over it. The brave person is not the one who does not feel afraid, but the one who conquers that fear. I have found in my own experience that courage is like muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it becomes. But if we don't lose it, if we don't use it, we'll lose it. Most of us know that if we haven't worked out in a while, we shouldn't go into the gym today and try to bench press 300 pounds. You'll get embarrassed and probably hurt. But like me, maybe you should start with the bar. And the more you lift, the more you can add. And the more you push up, the more weight you can hold. And eventually, you'll build your strength to lift that 300 pounds. Similarly, the more we stand for what's right, the more we stick to our convictions, the more boldly we can claim what we believe. In the 1920s, Levi Coffin was a resident of Newport, Indiana, and he allowed runaway slaves to rest in his home on their journey up the Underground Railroad. He housed so many slaves that his home became known as the Grand Central Terminal. He took an enormous risk to help others, and he frequently received death threats and warnings. People said that they would burn down his home and burn down his shop if he didn't stop housing these slaves. Yet he continued to let them stay there. Like many of the white people involved in the Underground Railroad, he was driven by his Christian convictions. And he exhibited great courage. He's quoted as saying that the Bible, in bidding us to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, said nothing about color. Coffin is just one example of a person who decided to do what he could about an injustice that he saw. But his action resulted in hundreds of enslaved people finally finding their freedom. Coffin exhibited uncommon courage. We all have courage. It takes courage just to get up in the morning and face the day. It takes courage to come out onto New York City streets not knowing what could happen. It takes courage to leave your children in the morning not sure that you'll see them again. But Coffin exhibited uncommon courage— the kind of courage that reaches beyond the present moment and impacts a generation to come. The church and the world need more people with uncommon courage. Uncommon courage, the kind of courage that speaks out when it seems easier to be silent. Uncommon courage, staying present when others have told you to go away. Uncommon courage, Refusing to go along with wrong just to get along. Uncommon courage. Speaking against discrimination when we see it in our schools, in our jobs, and in our homes. Uncommon courage. Fighting for the rights of all people. We are called not just to be disciples and to follow, but Jesus is commanding us to go out and lead to go out and be messengers, to be apostles. But we need unwavering conviction, unfailing commitment, and uncommon courage.